Coming up on Golf Today, Brooks Kepka snuffs out the field at Oak Hill to win the PGA in the throwback performance. How did he come from the depths to get the job done in Rochester? And the block party continues from California to New York. How does a 46-year-old PGA professional become an A-lister overnight? We have the details coming up. And does Kepka's week at Oak Hill warrant a trip to Rome for the Ryder Cup? Would he be welcomed by Captain Zach and the team? Do you want to see him? A spicy roundtable is next on Golf Today. Golf Today. And we begin this Monday with some news as the USGA announced today that three-time U.S. Open winner Tiger Woods has withdrawn from the upcoming U.S. Open at Los Angeles Country Club as he recovers from a recent ankle surgery. This was the final year of Woods' U.S. Open exemption from winning the 2019 Masters. This, of course, is Golf Today. Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch, Golf Week magazine. No surprise this news about Tiger Woods, but still a little bit jarring on this Monday following a major championship. Yeah, Tiger hasn't actually played in a U.S. Open since winged foot in mm -hmm. 2020. He's only played in, in the National Open four times in the last decade. This one's no surprise. I, I talked to someone recently who'd spent some time with Tiger and in the last couple of weeks, and he's still not burying any weight on the ankle that he's had fused. So the idea that he was going to show up three weeks from now to play the U.S. Open was always a little bit far-fetched, and it might be the end of his exemption from winning, but I, I do think that, you know, as long as Tiger Woods wants to play a U.S. Open, the USGA is probably going to give him an invitation to do so. I think you're right. Now, even with this, this time post, this, this news of today, I don't think we've seen the last of Tiger Woods in a major championship. I still think he wants to put his body back together, loves the hard work, loves the chase and pursuit of greatness. Are you of a similar mindset that we'll continue to see Tiger Woods at some point competing in a major championship? Yeah, the people who are close to Tiger do think that Tiger believes there's another run left yeah. in him. And I'm inclined to lean that way as well. Right now, my guess is his focus is on the PNC Championship, which mm. is basically his fifth major when he plays with his son at the end of the year. But we're obviously not going to see him in L.A., and it's very hard to imagine we're going to see him in Hoy Lake either. We wish Tiger the best in his recovery from his recent surgery. And speaking of someone coming back from injury, how about this recent timeline? For Brooks Koepka, been quite a journey for Brooks since 2019 when he won that fourth major at the PGA at Bethpage Black. Injuries have been a part of his story to the knee, the hip as well. He won on the PGA Tour in Phoenix in 2021, had three top tens in majors that year without a major win. However, then last year, he left the PGA Tour for live golf. His confidence low, his future uncertain, but then a runner-up at the Masters last month and a win yesterday at the PGA Championship. Here is Brooks on his journey back to prominence. I've always learned more from the four times I've finished second than the, I guess, the five times I've won now. Um, I think failure is how you learn. Uh, you get better from it. You realize what mistakes you've made. Each time I've, I've kind of made an adjustment. Um, it's more mentality than it is anything. There's not really a golf swing or anything like that. It's just, you know, you, you're going to play how you play. But mentally, you can kind of figure things out. And right, I'm always trying to get better. So just trying to find that different, that little edge, um, just to poke and pry inside my head. And really, really, I think the big key is just being open and honest with yourself. And if you can do that, then you'll, uh, you'll be miles ahead of everybody else. Obviously, we got a, got a peak of you at bottom because of the show. And, you know, I, I just kind of wondered, at those times, how much were you 
doubting, questioning, whatever, um, yourself physically versus, like, yourself, like, can I go do that again, me, like the player? Uh, it's tough to explain. It's, it's very hard to explain. It's just, like, you, you can't fathom how difficult it is just to get going. Um, I mean, it was a lot worse than I let on to you guys, to let on to everybody. Um, like I said, I think maybe only five, six people really know the extent of it. Um, and it's just, it was hard. I mean, cold weather, it's achy. It was, I mean, the swelling didn't go down till maybe a couple months ago. But, uh, I mean, so that's almost, what, two years? Um, it, it's been a long road, but uh, it's, look, that's who I am. I'm open and honest. Uh, I know I seem like this big, bad, tough guy on the golf course that doesn't smile, doesn't do anything. But if you catch me off the golf course, I'll let you know what's going on. And um, like, I'm happy they got that side, right? Um, that's that's truly me. And uh, some people might hate it. Some people uh, might dog it. But uh, at the end of the day, it's just me. Did, just to be clear, did you ever uh, consider retirement? Uh, I don't know if I considered retiring, but I knew I wasn't going to – if I couldn't play the way I wanted to play, then I was I was definitely going to give it up. I mean, the thought definitely kind of crossed my mind. Brooks, you seemed to get a little emotional as you were walking from the 18th green to the scoring tent. Um, was that relief? Was that suddenly realizing what you had accomplished? Just curious. Yeah, I think it was definitely what I had accomplished. Um, part of my language, but it's all the – I had to go through. Um, no one knows. No one knows. I think uh, it's been all the pain. There was a lot of uh, a lot of times where I just couldn't even bend my knee, and um, yeah, it, it felt good. It felt really good. Brooks Kepka moving from the realm of great player to legendary player. We take a look at the list of players with the most PGA Championship victories: Walter Hagen and Jack Nicklaus with five apiece, Tiger Woods with four, and there's Brooks Koepka with three, joining Gene Saracen and Sam Steed. We're talking about the greatest players to ever pick up clubs, Eamon Lynch, and it wasn't that long ago when many of us were watching that full swing and seeing Brooks Koepka with the dyed blonde hair and the confidence low, looking like an athlete in the midst of a midlife crisis. To see that journey culminate in the Sunday at Oak Hill, it's been a remarkable transformation. Yeah, it's something you don't get to see very often is greatness recaptured mm. in an athlete that's broken. And over the last couple of years, I've, I've had quite a few conversations with Kepka about his, his physical state. And he hit on it there. He was body broken. But, and he was insecure about that as well. But what was also striking, and you just mentioned it, was the confidence. And some of that, I think, was also game-related. Uh, this is a guy who built the reputation of being a terminator in major championships. And then that started to wobble a little bit. You know, there was that wobble at the Masters when he hit it in the water in 12 in 2019. He wins the PGA Championship the next month, but he wobbled on that back nine, and a big lead became mm. a very small lead at the end of it. But he had Phil Mickelson on the ropes at the PGA Championship in 2021. The following month, he was in the mix again at the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. He kind of ran out of holes there. Mm. It's not as well he played badly, just got aggressive trying to get those last few holes in. But the one, I think, that burned him was losing to Mickelson at Kiowa Island. And then we just saw it last month when he went into the final round of the Masters with the lead there as well. So he looked like a guy yesterday who felt as though he had something to prove. And it was the Brooks Kepka 
of old. It, he, he goes through these final rounds in major championships with the heartbeat of Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. It just, you can see other people getting wound up and he's just moving like a shark through the water out there. And it's interesting, you, you know, you often see a guy who underperforms in one particular area of the game but super exceeds expectations in another area of the game. But if you took a look at his uh, strokes gain statistics, from the PGA Championship at Oak Hill. And you don't see any weakness here at all. Strokes gained putting, 13th in the field, by some margin, that is his worst statistical category. Tita Green, he's second. Strokes gained total, he's first. There is not a shred of kryptonite anywhere in that. And that ought to be worrisome for guys heading to LACC and Hoylake as well, because what the player he was several years ago, he is again. It was hard to imagine he'd get back to this point, considering that his body was betraying him. I'll never forget 2019 at that PGA Championship at Bethpage Black. Before the championship began, he talked about the fact that he felt he was one of the best players on the property, and there'll be some guys that'll choke, and there'll be some guys that I'm just better than physically. And he's got that old energy back but to talk to Dr. Arasapaya who's a part of his his medical staff I talked to him during the Masters and to know that all of those hours spent the quiet unseen hours when he's doing all these tedious little movements you know we're talking about a big guy who wants to throw up the weight plates and throw up the bench press and he's having to do these little tedious movements to get his knee stronger to get the swelling down and do it day after day and week after week and he was willing to put in that work and then the confidence that came back with it it just looked like an old song or sounded like an old song back in rotation brooks Kepler did not miss a beat yesterday his name carried weight on the leaderboard, his gait never changed. If anything, he walked slower. On 16, you want to talk about a, a turning point. There's Victor Hovland, who played great golf for 95% of that day. He's struggling in that bunker. And here's Brooks Kepler with a chance to put the hammer down. And I often ask the best players, throw your weight around. Let everybody hear your voice. And this is exactly what that is on 16. These are heroic golf shots, the toughest golf courses that are asking the most difficult questions. And Brooks Kepka has made his name by answering those questions. And all credit to Victor Hovland, who hung around all day long, yeah. made putt after putt, chipped it close. All the weaknesses that we've been told about in Victor's game for so long, they weren't there. He held his own really well until that shot on 16, but Kepka did what Kepka does, mm. which is when you hear the guy next to you on Sunday afternoon gasping for breath, you step yeah. on his throat. Yeah. And he did that again. And good to see Victor Hovland, who's been in contention now the last three major championships. But I looked a little bit unsteady maybe on that Sunday at the old course, but getting more and more comfortable, you know, in the heat of a major championship battle, 68 for Victor Hovland. But the story, of course, Brooks Kepka now a five-time major championship, 66, 66, 67, his final three rounds on that par 70 beast at Oak Hill. One of the other big time stories, the block party that we had a front row seat to Michael Block, 46 years of age, a Royal Tribuco Golf Club, Mission Viejo, public course, daily fee. He's the low PGA professional aim. And I tell you what, from the moment he stuck AirPods in his ear earlier in the week, he became really the star of this PGA championship. I didn't cry when I had my kids. Um, I cry for some reason. If, if if you love golf, you know. I mean, I cry about golf, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, 
I've cried a, only a couple times in my life when I won the national championship in 2014 in Myrtle Beach at the Dunes Club, I cried. And then after that, my wife hasn't seen me cry until this week. And so if, if it makes any sense that the one thing in the world that makes me cry is golf. So if that puts into context as far as how much I love the game, uh, you, you, you know now. So it's, it's, it's everything to me. Obviously, I love my family and everything else and my job and everything, but golf's my life. I live it, breathe it, and I made sure of one thing in my life that I was going to drive to a golf course every day, whether it was a caddy or an outside service kid or an assistant pro or a head pro or general manager, I was going to be at a golf course. And I came to a golf course today at Oak Hill and played in the PGA Championship. If at the start of the week someone were to have rattled off, like, say, Wednesday, if they, if they were to rattle off all the things that have happened this week, what would you have told them? So I was at the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh pub on uh, Sunday night. Not one single person knew me. I'm going to go there in about an hour, and uh, it's going to be on. We're going to have crazy good time tonight, and I look forward to it. And uh, my life's changed, but my life's only changed in the better. Um, I've got my family. i got my friends. i got the people that really love me and care uh, about me here. Uh, and it's, it's an epic experience, and I couldn't thank the PGA, and I can't thank Oak Hill enough. I can't thank you guys enough for being so awesome and uh, enjoying the experience. Michael, you've said it a few times, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but what's it like to be living every hacker's dream? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, the, I'm as normal as it gets, right? Um, it's, it's a thing for me where I'm not trying to be an inspiration. I'm not trying to do anything. And that's kind of the big deal is I'm not trying to be anybody outside of myself. And uh, hopefully people gravitate towards it and appreciate it and be themselves and, su and succeed in, in their goals as I have to this week as they kind of documented was my big goal this week was to make, to be the low club pro, right? And that maybe meant shooting nine over after two days and beating the other guys and then shooting 25 over on the weekend, right? I could have been happy with that, but I wasn't. Um, I wanted to be low club pro, but then also changed my, my aspect and my, my thoughts about it and uh, said, let's just finish as high as we can. I didn't look at any leaderboards, and now that I know I'm 15th place and I made $288,000 or something like that uh, is insane that I did that playing golf. And I love the fact that I sit in my backyard by my fire pit with my kids and my dog and I always sit there and I go, you guys, I always tell them this. I said, I always say, do you guys know that golf built this? Golf fed you tonight. Golf has the yard. Golf supplied the, the home that I have in Orange County, California. The golf did this for you guys. And I always tell this to my kids, that golf did it. And uh, golf just did a little bit more for me this week. Well, so much of what he accomplished this week can't be quantified in a list, but we'll do our best. His tie 15 finish, the best by a PGA professional at the PGA Championship in the last 35 years, and that top 15 finish earns him a spot in 2024's PGA Championship at Valhalla in Louisville, Kentucky, and that ace on 15, the most memorable shot of the week, his only subpar hole of that final round, and after he signed the scorecard, the rewards kept on coming. Hello, Michael. Yes. 
Hey, what's going on, Michael? Great week, my friend. Congratulations. Don't tell me what you're going to tell me, because if you tell me, I'm going to start crying right now, man. I am going to tell you what I'm about to tell you. We would love for you to come play in our golf tournament, and we have an exemption available, and we'd love for you to be in Fort Worth this week. And I'm the, hand, the hair on my arms is standing up, too. <laughs> so just take a deep breath. Um, but there's no better person for this last exemption to go to than you. Uh, Michael, I haven't met you yet, uh, and I can't thank you enough for this opportunity. Um, someone once told me the Colonial sets up pretty good for an old pro like me. So, uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I, I thank you so much, and this is uh, this is even more insane. And I, I look forward to. Sounds like transferring my tickets to uh, <laughs> Fort Worth, Dallas tomorrow, and uh, coming to you guys rather than Orange County. If you could uh, talk to my boss real quick. Um, and tell him that uh, <laughs> I, I won't be at work next week. Is that okay, Matt? Yeah, it's fine. Okay, okay, good. I'm good. I'm good. I'll be happy to call for you. Okay, no, no, he's right here. He's right here. He's got tequila in his hand, so he's good. Yeah, TCU. Yeah, and a daughter TCU, so we're coming. We're good. Well, Michael's going to have to keep on clearing out the calendar. This from the RBC Canadian Open. Michael Block, we heard the hole-in-one roar from across Lake Ontario. Please join us. At the RBC Canadian Open June 6th through the 11th Oakdale Golf and Country Club in Toronto. And this, Michael Block, will join us tomorrow on Golf Today. Well, Brooks Kepka reminded everyone that he's among the best players in the world and certainly one of the 12 best American players in the world. But will that be enough to get him a seat on the plane to Rome for the Ryder Cup in four months? We're going to talk about that one next. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your spring is about to get a lot more power with the Home Depot. Get gas-like power from mowing, trimming, and blowing with the Ryobi 18-volt OnePlus system starting at just $89. Mowing power that can take on a third of an acre with one charge. Trimming power with up to two hours of runtime. And blowing power with 110 miles per hour of clearing force. All of one interchangeable battery. Get cordless gas-like power for the entire lawn with the Ryobi 18-volt OnePlus system only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Back on Golf Today, history made yesterday as Brooks Kepka won his third PGA Championship in six years and in the process became a five-time major champ. Fired that final round 67 to hold off Victor Hovland and Scotty Scheffler by a couple of shots. Now this from Zach Johnson, the captain of the U.S. Ryder Cup team on the potential of a live player being on 
said team. I think it's too premature, frankly irresponsible to even have any sort of opinion about that. I think given where we are right now, there's a lot of points out. Number one. Number two, you have a bunch of elevated events. Number three, if you go back on history, there's names right now that probably on both tours that we're not even mentioning that could have a chance given what's from us. So I haven't even begun to discuss picks with anybody that I trust in my circle, specifically the vice captains. I feel like it's irrelevant to even discuss. But what does Scotty Scheffler think? I want to win the Ryder Cup. I don't care about tours or anything like that. I want to win the Ryder Cup. Um, something we talked about, you know, last year when we finished, um, or I guess it was like a year and a half ago now, but um, we want to beat those guys in Europe. It's been a long time for since we beat them, and whoever the best 12 guys that make a complete team, um, you know, it's, it's different than an individual tournament. You know, we want a team of guys that are going over there together to bring the cup back home, and that's really all I care about. Scotty Scheffler, if you are a mem member of the American squad and you have not won as a team collectively in Europe since 1993, and there's a five-time major champ who's just finished second and first in the majors of 2023 available to you, you have to think that Brooks Kepka is going to be on that squad. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that, that Zach Johnson says that, you know, it's irrelevant to discuss. And in fairness, those quotes may have come before Brooks Kepka actually won the PGA Championship, but it's irrelevant to debate whether or not he should be there. If he qualifies, he should be on that team. And right now, he's second in the Ryder Cup rankings right now for Team USA. If it comes to the point where he falls down and he needs a captain's pick, well, that's on Zach Johnson. He's right. given tremendous latitude there to do what he wants to do. But to me, it's not a debate whether or not he should play on the team. And I know Brandel and Faxon got into this last night on Live From as well. Live are the guys who are out there saying that criteria and standards should just be simply dismissed if it doesn't suit their selfish interest when it comes to the official World Golf rankings. The same attitude should not be taken on the Ryder Cup. Uh, you can't rewrite criteria to target a live golfer in Brooks Kepka and say you're not going to play on a team that you've mm. legitimately qualified for. He, if he, as long as he qualifies automatically for that team, he should be on that plane to roam. I find it interesting that even as we look ahead to the Ryder Cup, and there have been questions about live golfers, and we've heard like the, the likes of Mike Wan, for example, or, or Martin Slumber saying, you know, quote, the, the live model not in the best interests of the sport. Mike Wan saying, I'm struggling to see how this fracturing is good for the game. Seth Waugh of the PJ saying live is flawed, not a survivable business model. Fred Ridley, Augusta National saying, recent actions have divided men's professional golf. Even with those quotes, none of these tournaments or organizations have changed the criteria to the point where they are pr prohibiting live golfers from being there. We saw them in the ecosystem at the Masters. We saw them, the players together in the tournament practice area there. We saw some hugs and, and some bro hugs and back slapping. And same thing at the PGA Championship. I imagine we'll see them together at LA North as well. And we'll see them in Hoylake as well. I think that because of those, the sentiment may be that they don't like where the game sits professionally. But if you have qualified for an open championship or a U.S., open or you meet the qualifications for the Ryder Cup, I imagine the PGA of America is not going to do anything to prohibit a qualified player from going. No, and for the same reason that they haven't done anything in terms of criteria for individual majors is that there's a lot of litigation flying around. There are allegations of collusion between various bodies, all leveled by Live Golf and some Live Golf players. 
and none of these bodies are in a hurry to give any evidence of that to, to yeah. Live Golf for the, the litigation. And that litigation does hang over the Ryder Cup a little bit in the sense that the players who are on Team USA are the folks who will ultimately have to pool resources to cover the legal bills for defending this litigation. But it's also Burr's noting that Brooks Kepka didn't find or sue anyone. Mm. He hasn't filed litigation. He's not a plaintiff in any of these actions, nor was Dustin Johnson. They simply took their money, walked away. They didn't engage in even in bad-mouthing the tour they'd played on or executives that they'd played under previously, mm. as, as other guys have. They just simply walked away from the tour. So that's another reason why he's not particularly polarising in the locker room at all. He's polarising with fans, but he's always been fairly popular among his peers. And I, I think it, sports washing is an issue. He's clearly sports washing for the Saudi government as part of Live. But sports washing is not a disqualifier for the mm. Ryder Cup team. And does it make it more palatable that he wasn't even necessarily a big PGA Tour proponent when he was a member of the PGA Tour? And I say that his focus was always on four events a year. He, he talked about it. You know, there was, it was more practice. He said, I don't even like golf that much. But the major champions, whether he was a member of the PGA Tour or a member of Live Golf, were always the events that had his attention. He's not even rocking Live Golf gear while others are, um, like we saw last week at Oak Hill. Yeah, Brooks Kepka plays for Brooks Kepka alone. And this major championship will no more belong to Greg Norman than the previous four belong mm. to Jay Monaghan. Mm. He plays for one man, and neither one of them is Jay Monaghan or Greg Norman. Not a surprise if we see Brooks Kepka at Rome in the fall, and Dustin Johnson as well, who went undefeated in Whistling Straits for the United States as we take a look at the United States Ryder Cup standings. And there he is, Brooks Kepka, second in the standings off of that T2 finish at the Masters and victory yesterday at Oak Hill. Stay with us, folks. We continue to react to the 105th PGA Championship at Oak Hill. After the break, a full debrief with two members of the media, Rex Hoggart and Brendan Korath. Join us coming up. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your spring is about to get a lot more power with the Home Depot. Get gas-like power from mowing, trimming, and blowing with the Ryobi 18-volt 1 Plus system starting at just $89. Mowing power that can take on a third of an acre with one charge. Trimming power with up to two hours of runtime and blowing power with 110 miles per hour of clearing force. All on one interchangeable battery. Get cordless gas-like power for the entire lawn with the Ryobi 18-volt 1 Plus system. Only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.
And time for our media roundtable now. We're joined by Golf Channel senior writer Rex Hoggard and editor and podcaster for the Fried Egg and the Shotgun Start Full of Mathematics. He is Brendan Porath. Rex, I want to start with you. We've been kind of holding our breaths, wondering what would happen if a live golfer won a major championship. What was the vibe like on the ground at Oak Hill? It was electric. I think when you look back at just everything that transpired on Sunday, you had so many great stories. You just got through telling the Michael Block story and all the emotion that went into that. You even saw Rory McIlroy, who was playing with him, get excited. But then you go down the line and you had all of these other storylines. Scotty Scheffler right there in the mix. Everything that Victor Hovland did on Sunday. But I, I think Brooks's delivery was the part that stands out the most. He fed off the crowd. He certainly went back to all of those things that he had talked about that you guys have addressed. If you go back to just this time last year, I talked to his swing coach, Claude Harmon, about the idea that he didn't know if he was ever going to play again. The idea that at 30-something years old, after the career that he had, that he thought he was washed, that's what stood out to me. Brandon, I'm curious if you think anything changes in terms of the broader context here of, of Live Golf and its future, because we already knew that they had a handful of competitive players. We already knew that they had a reigning major champion, even if their affiliates didn't stay with him in a playoff last week as well. Does this actually change anything in terms of the broader traction for Live Golf going forward? Not in my eyes. I think Live Golf is a totally separate discussion. Just as you said in the prior segment, you know, you know, Brooks doesn't answer to Jay Monahan. He doesn't answer to Greg Norman. He plays for himself. I don't think this would change anything about the PGA Tour, where he's still on the PGA Tour. wouldn't be necessarily a feather in their cap either. It's an independent championship. Uh, this doesn't make, you know, team cliques all of a sudden more appealing. Or their product is still what it is, and they need to sort that out. Having a major champion, they have Cameron Smith prior to this. I don't know that that had changed the dynamic this year. Um, they have to worry about what goes on at their events, their tournaments, and the players when they're they're on their stage. I don't think this is, uh, changes that dynamic at all. But they will certainly attempt to use that narrative, I imagine. Well, Brendan, let me ask you this, because part of the, the perception was that these players that went to live would lose some competitive sharpness, wouldn't be you know, matched tough only playing 54 holes on these less-than-stellar golf courses. Can the live golf participants at least say, you know what, the, Phil played great at the Masters. So did Brooks there. And again, Bryson DeChambeau on the leaderboard. Do they at least have, for the moment, the ability to say, you know what, we at least have some players that can still compete in the highest stress levels in the game? Yeah, I, I think that that is a concession you could make. Um, I, I don't know that the argument, the original argument, had any merit to begin with, whether you were, you know, pro PGA Tour, you're saying, well, you're going to be competitively rusty playing that that circuit. That that may be kind of a baseless argument, grasping at straws. But uh, these players are, are world-class players on any stage. Uh, and I, I, I think, you know, Liv can push back on, on people trying to talk that, look, you're playing in Tulsa on some also-ran course. Uh, you're not going to be ready to go. Kepka, as we've seen, is sort of a unique case in this, right? And, and we talked about his approach on the PGA Tour. It was more practice. He's got this incredibly unique resume. Uh, so he's, he's kind of in his own box. But they do have, have a little bit of an argument there that, look, uh, this sort of 54-hole shotgun start format uh, isn't making our guys rusty for the biggest stages. Rex, he's up to number two now, Kepka, in the Ryder Cup standings. If you're a betting man, is he on that plane going to Rome in September? 
I would put it at 50-50. I love the conversation that you guys just had because I, I think this is a, a two-part question. Listening to Zach Johnson yesterday, and he answered a lot of questions, and there was a lot of give and take about this idea. One is the idea that if Brooks qualifies for that team, and I'm not quite sure if mathematically that's possible at that point, but if he does, Zach has been clear that the six players who qualify for the team are going to make up his quote-unquote leadership council and that they're going to have a voice in the room when it comes time to select the other six captain's picks. So if Brooks is in that room, it will create an interesting dynamic. The other part of this is if he does not, if he falls out of that top six, because as you pointed out, there's two more majors left that he can pad those points and pretty much lock up his spot. But beyond that, there's four designated events that will have larger purses than likely the two re remaining majors. U.S. Ryder Cup points are based on money. So mathematically, it's going to be tough for him and all of the live players. Brendan, what do you see in this scenario? Because it seems like the more these majors you know, come and go, we're seeing the players from the PGA Tour and Live Golf coexist, hug, uh, play practice rounds together even. How palatable is it to see Brooks Kepka in your mind, on a U.S. Ryder Cup team? Well, I think it depends on the player there, Damon. So, some of those Live guys are, are open for hugs. The tour, tour players are, are willing to embrace. I think some others, they may not be. Uh, but, yes, I, I think Brooks has solidified his status as a Ryder Cup player for this year. Um, you know, We understand that to be sort of the most intense crucible of the sport, and we've seen him now perform at the first two majors. It's going to be hard to ignore. I, I think he has to be a part of that group. And as a golf fan, um, it would be nice. It's impossible to set this schism aside, right? We look at this through this, this lens through everything. Um, but as a golf fan, it would be nice to see this – commingling at least for the Ryder Cup and, and down the line who knows where this goes but for 2024 it seems like uh, there, there's going to have to be maybe a DJ as well but Brooks has solidified his status I, I think it's pretty inarguable and, and to be honest with you the PGA Tour feels a little more secure in its position a little more secure in its product that I think you're seeing a little bit of a, a, a sign, at least from the players on the range. And that's where you see some of this more willingness to, to interact. I, I think they should feel much more secure compared to last year when, when this threat arose. Rex, we know who's leaving Oak Hill happy and maybe has a party hangover today in terms of Kepka and Michael Block. Who's leaving with a different kind of hangover here? Is it someone like Hovland who got so close and came up short? Or is it a guy like John Ram who never put himself in the mix at all? Or is it a Rory McIlroy who just seems to be kind of rudderless right now? Who do you think leaves most disappointed? I think Victor leaves happy. When you look at what he has done over the last few majors, he's finished tied for second, tied for seventh, and tied for fourth. And, and I was a little skeptical going into the final round. We kind of did a podcast the night before myself and Ryan Lavender, and I doubted that he had what it took to finish up on Sunday because, like a lot of people, I questioned his short game. I'm done questioning his short game. When you look at what he did on that Sunday, yeah, he didn't chase down Brooks Kepka, and Brooks was in rare flight. But he finished 10th in strokes gain around the green. He was 6th in scrambling, 14 for 21 for the week. That shows me that that element of his game is certainly solid enough. I think he walks out of Oak Hill with a very, very uh, good pop in his step. The one that I would be curious about is Roy McIlroy. Listening to him yesterday when he finished up, this goes back to the Masters, that every time he struggles in the first round of the Masters, we always come back to the idea that this is a mental hurdle for him. Hearing him talk about starting his round on Thursday at the PGA Championship, looking up on the leaderboard and seeing that he was already trailing, and mentally he starts putting pressure on himself, I think that's going to be tough for him to get over. Brendan, how about you? Where does Rory McIlroy go from here? Because I've just been struck by the players who have won majors since Rory's 
last major. Brooks Kepka has won five majors since Rory's last major. Tigers won a major. Phil's won a major. Spieth's won three. JT two. Rom two. Morikawa two. DJ two. Zach Johnson has won a major. Where does Rory McIlroy go from here? Uh, that's an impressive list, man. We've had such a, an incredible decade almost now since Rory's last last major championship. I don't think he goes anywhere different, right? He's contending. He hasn't fallen off the map. He's he's you know we should have run into a major by now. You look at the, the the percentage of contention relative to a Brooks, relative to a DJ. Those guys ran into a couple majors. Rory's just had a couple bad breaks, some course mismanagement, some poor decisions here and there. Uh, and obviously, just some some got got caught behind like a hot player, like Cameron Smith at the old course, right? So I don't think he needs to change much up. He played poorly this week, right? It wasn't uh, necessarily a mental thing. He played poorly. He said he had not his best stuff, a C game, a B game, certainly through those first few days. And he was still on the fringes of contention, right? So I don't think... We're always re putting him under the microscope. I don't know that he needs to go anywhere or do anything differently. And I expect him to be right there again going forward. At, at, it, it travels everywhere. An open championship test, an LACC, he'll be there again. Yeah, and maybe a trip to Hoylake uh, where he got it done yeah. in 2014 will do the trick. Rex and Brendan, we appreciate uh, joining us on our first roundtable. Thanks, fellas. Thank you. Back on golf today. So you say you'd like to play a major championship venue. Be careful what you wish for. Oak Hill, hardest on tour this year. 2.722 strokes over par. 1,846 bogeys. I've said that stat like eight times during commercial. I just can't believe it. 233 doubles. Blessedly, 1,111 birdies and six eagles. I tell you what, tough, tough golf course. Let's welcome in. Jason Bowden, the head golf professional at Oak Hill Country Club. Jason, you were quoted as saying that, that you are a golf town and this is your Super Bowl. So how was the Super Bowl? Uh, it was fantastic. I hope everyone had a good time and, and watching Brooks win. And how about that performance by Michael Block, something special. What did that success of Michael Block mean to you as a PGA member, as a club professional, when you see a guy hang with the best in the world? over four days and get that much out of it and bring so many people behind him. What does that mean to you to watch that? Yeah, being a PGA member myself, that gives us all hope, right? Uh, I mean, it's our, our goal to, to, to play in these major championships, especially the PGA championship. And uh, the performance he, he had was, uh, it was really special. And uh, I'm glad he's getting all the success uh, and, and accolades he deserves from that uh, performance. Jason, what kind of impact going forward will Michael Block's week have maybe for the next week or month or even year for PGA professionals? Yeah, I mean, I think it shows that PGA professionals can still play golf and still compete with some of the best players in the world. I mean, that's why we all got in the game originally is because we love to play golf. Um, and it's morphed into other things as, such as teaching and merchandising and running businesses. But at the heart of it, we're golf professionals. We love to play golf and good golf at that. Jason, the championship may be over, but you're back at work today and the job rolls on as it does for so many in your business. What's the process like now for getting this golf course back to its membership? Yeah, great question. Uh, today we have a tournament that they start teeing off at 7.30 this morning and then tomorrow we have another tournament. Um, and then we give the golf course back all 36 holes of our property actually to our members 
this coming Saturday. So it's a quick turnaround. Uh, having the PGA Championship in uh, May actually works out great for us because we got the whole season to look for. Jason, what do you hear from the members? Some places they love having a club that is tough, muscular, lots of rough. The members like to invite guests to say, hey, look how tough and beautiful our golf course is. What do you hear from members in general at Oak Hill? Yeah, this, this is a tough golf course. I mean, what you saw on TV is what we deal with every single day, the thick, rough, fast greens. Um, you know, I, I was mentioning something that uh, a 0, 0.0 index plays to a, a seven handicap on this golf course and a 10.0 index plays to a, a 21 handicap, just to give you an idea of how hard that golf course is. Jason, you grew up in California. You spent time in warm weather places in Georgia and Arizona. I read that the day you arrived at work at Oak Hill, it was minus 20, and you started to wonder if this was really the place for you. But you might have had another reason to wonder that. You were following in the footsteps of Craig Harmon, one of the legendary teachers and club professionals in this game, and he'd been there for more than 40 years. That had to be a pretty daunting act to follow. It, it certainly is. I can tell you I'm doing this. I'm talking to you guys from the Harmon room inside our clubhouse. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a little daunting because all his uh, pictures and artifacts are on the wall. They actually made me interview in this room, which was uh, something very special. So it's, it's an honor for me to follow Craig and, uh, and, and continue the legacy here at Oak Hill. Well, you're carrying the torch very well, Jason. Thanks for the time. Congrats to Oak Hill and the entire membership. We hope to speak to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, folks. How about some future sites for the PGA Championship? Valhalla. Next year, you have to think that uh, Justin Thomas will have his attention. Uh, maybe Tiger Woods as well. Quail Hollow, speaking of Justin Thomas, 2025. And Arana PGA Frisco. That's the new home of the PGA of America. Then back out west, the Olympic Club, Baltusrol, and Springfield, New Jersey. And then they call it Congo. Stick around for 2030 in Bethesda, Maryland. And Valhalla, of course, where Kenny Perry came so close to winning the PGA Championship back in 1996. He's a 14-time winner on the PGA Tour, and he's going to be joining us next, the pride of Franklin, Kentucky. We'll be right back. Back on Golf Today, PGA Tour in Fort Worth, Texas, this week at Historic Colonial Country Club. For the Charles Schwab Challenge, you can see live first-round coverage Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Golf Channel. And Kenny Perry is a two-time winner at Colonial 2003, cruised to a six-shot victory after closing with a final round 68 for a tournament scoring record at 19 under par. Then in 05, Perry won at Colonial again for his ninth career PGA Tour victory and second of the 05 season, another stress-free win by seven shots. I mean, they're not really stress-free, but man, did he run away from the field. How about this bio? 14 PGA Tour wins, turned pro back in 82, couple of Ryder Cup teams, a 10-time winner on PGA Tour champions, four senior majors, and won the 2013 Charles Schwab Cup, and great to be joined by Kenny Perry on this Monday. I've always been fascinated, Kenny, by who wins at Colonial. It's such a throwback old school golf course. Why did it fit your game so well back in the day? Well, Damon, that was a great question. If I knew the secret to that, I would have played better at other golf courses. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know what? Um, you had to drive the ball really well there, and, and it, it was a tight golf course. 
And if you had the ability to drive it into the fairway and be aggressive, uh, I think that's why I took advantage of it. I drove it straight. Uh, I hit driver on like six and seven, uh, nine, the tight holes, and would hit sand wedges into the green where you could lay up short of some of those bunkers and, you know, and play safe, you know, and lay back, hit seven, eight iron in. And I think it played to my advantage because I shot a couple of, I think I was 19 under a couple of times uh, on my both of my wins. And uh, I just played very aggressive and I drove it very straight and I just kept hitting driver on the holes you probably shouldn't hit driver on. Kenny, to that point, this seems one of the few courses on the PGA Tour these days that isn't overrung and bullied by long hitters week after week. Is, there, is that a test you don't see that often on the PGA Tour anymore? Does it demand something that other courses just don't? Well, I, I think so. Uh, you know, when you have Bermuda rough and you're forced to hit the fairways to gain ball control, uh, you know, when you have that little four-inch or three-inch Bermuda rough, when that ball sits down and every time you hit it out of that rough, you catch fires. And uh, I think, you know, that's premium was on, on, on fairways that week. And a lot of weeks, you know, it's the, obviously it's the bomb and gouge. You can just hit it as far as you want to and, and still, you know, get it around the green and, and be very successful. Uh, and I think he played in a lot of wind at Colonial there being in Texas, you know, and with the, with the rough and, and the small fairways, you know, they're, they're fairly narrow. Uh, it gave a huge advantage to guys who could hit it fairly long and keep it in the fairway. And uh, it, it paid, you know, a premium that week to, to make you successful. Kenny, when you won, you, you got hot. You won three times in 03, twice in 05, three times in 08, twice in 09. Some guys win, and it takes them a, a while to kind of get back on the horse. You did it so beautifully so often. How would you carry momentum forward after winning, you know, which is exhausting on the PGA Tour. Well, th that became a time in my life where we became in empty nesters. In 08 and 09, I was 48, 49 years old. And, you know, 03, uh, kids were still around, but it just seemed like I was able to rededicate my life and refocus on my golf and in those years and uh, get after it. And I, I really didn't have any pressure. You know, it was everything to gain, nothing to lose and was able to cut it loose and see what, what I could do out there. And uh, a lot of good things went my way. I mean, uh, I had some fantastic putting weeks, and uh, normally that's what kind of held me back. I was always halfway decent ball striker, you know, top 10 greens and reg, and uh, total driving, I was always top 10. And so uh, the ball striking part wasn't it. It was always my short game effort. And then it just seemed like whenever my putter woke up, it, you know, uh, W started coming my way. Kenny, you've talked recently about taking some time to step back from the game to care for your wife, Sandy, who's been diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's. How is Sandy faring right now? Uh, yes, uh, two years ago, we noticed, uh, you know, my, my kids came to me and said, something's wrong with mom. And, you know, I, I wouldn't think nothing of it at the time, and I wouldn't pay much attention. I, I, I thought it was just typical blonde. And... Uh, and then it, after, uh, after about a few months, they said, really, something is wrong with mom. So my antennas kind of went up, and I started realizing she started not being able to do things that she, she's always been able to do. And uh, so I knew there was a problem coming up. And so when I, when I left the Champions Tour uh, 
two years ago, uh, we started chasing the doctors. We started trying to find information. I started going to everybody I could do to Vanderbilt. Uh, we live in Kentucky, but we're not far from Nashville, Tennessee. And I went to some holistic doctors who tried to attack the body and try to figure out, uh, you know, what was causing the Alzheimer's. And uh, so this has been a two-year process. I'm trying to figure out, I'm still trying to figure out to this day, what is the best plan of attack for her? Um, she seems to know everything in the past, uh, but anything current, like uh, if you would tell her to draw a clock or she can't do it, or like she doesn't know her numbers, uh, you know, she... Uh, just simple things you would you take for granted she she cannot do it now and it's it's very disturbing it's you know she's she's been my soulmate my whole life we went to kindergarten through grade school together uh, we got married right out of college and uh, we've been married 41 years and and to see her change the way she's changed uh, is very disheartening and I'm just trying to hope they come out with something that will actually slow this disease down because it's terrible. This is a terrible way to watch uh, someone you love uh, change day-to-day. Uh, -day. Kenny, why was it important for you to tell Sandy's story, obviously something you could have kept quiet ha had you wished? Well, we need to get it out there. I think, you know, and once I got it out there, I've had people, lots of people call me. I said, I've heard of this drug. You might need to want to try this. Uh, and you realize you're not the only person fighting this problem. There are thousands of people out there who have the same problem that I have, uh, that Sandy has. And uh, I, I can't get enough information. And I hope, you know, people see this and, and they'll call me and, and somebody will come up with something that can just slow it down enough to where she can be able to enjoy her grandkids and, uh, you know, enjoy the last part of our life. And, uh, you know, it's funny, you work so hard to get there and then all of a sudden you have to experience this the last half of your life. Uh, so we're, I just want it out there. I want people to know. And, you know, I've got a lot of people praying for me. Uh, I've had a lot of well-wishers. I have people coming up to me each and every week. I have people coming up to me with ideas and I'm hoping something will work for her, something that I can give her and that she can take and, and, and it'll bring her back. Kenny, I've seen this with family and friends who are in caregiver roles and so much of the focus is on the person who has the diagnosis rather than the people who have to care for them. How are you doing in this situation? Uh, it's been very hard. It's been a very hard for me uh, to to watch her and, and try to explain to her on certain issues. Like, I'll, I'll tell you, like, when I, I came here to Texas yesterday, I wrote everything down on a piece of paper for her, just like setting the alarm at our house. It was like, it's four numbers and then a three to turn it on, then the same four numbers and one turns it off. And I had the paper, she had the paper in her left hand and she had the keypad right in front of her. And I said, okay, now turn, set the alarm, turn it on. And she looked, she'd look at the paper and she would look at the keypad. And next thing she knows, she looked at me and she says, I can't do it. And those things hit you the hardest. They, you realize, oh my goodness, this is happening way faster than I want it to happen. And, uh, you know, I got to get pretty serious about this deal and I got to get quick about it. I need answers fast because if she keeps going down this direction, you know, I don't know how much longer she's going to be, you know, coherent with us and, and be able to function. And uh, 
uh, and be able to know who I am. Uh, it's devastating just to even think about things like that. Kenny, you've been a great friend of this game for a long time. A lot of us are thinking about you and Sandy and your entire family. We really appreciate you joining us today. You got it. Thanks for having us on. Well, the oldest major championship on the PGA Tour Champions returns this week. It was first contested in 1937 at Augusta National Golf Club. KitchenAid Senior PGA Championship will be held at PGA Frisco. You can catch live first-round coverage Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on Golf Channel. And back in 2019 at Oak Hill Country Club, Ken Tanagawa won his first career major firing a final round of even par 70. He captured that Senior PGA Championship. He rallied from a three-shot deficit on the back nine to pass the defending champion, Paul Broadhurst. We're pleased now to have Ken Tanigawa with us. Ken, the whole world was watching at Oak Hill at the weekend. That must have brought back some happy memories for you. Boy, it sure did. The course looked amazing, by the way. I mean, I know that they, they did some renovation out there and, and uh, it brought a lot of fond memories back, but it, was, it looked incredible on TV. What's it take to win at Oak Hill, something you know very, very well? Wow. Um, boy, I, I can tell you, it took a lot. Um, you had to drive it really, really well. It was uh, a, There was a lot more trees when we played, um, and you just had to be really patient. The rough was thick. Um, it was just a tremendous amount of challenge. You just had to kind of do everything really, really well. You were three strokes back heading into that Sunday, Ken. What was right. your strategy? Because it doesn't seem like the kind of golf course that you could go out intending to be overly aggressive. No, you know, what's funny is I tell the story right before I teed off, I was on the putting green. I ran into Jay Haas, who obviously is one there, and he, he told me that the par is going to be your friend and, and just make pars and hang in there. And, um, and that was great advice because I missed a couple birdie putts on that front side, and, and I just kept telling myself, you know, just par is your friend, just, just plot along and, and just be patient and, and just see how it plays out. Um, and fortunately, it worked out. Ken, something else you have in common with Brooks Kepka is you also traveled the world to play golf, chasing the right. dream. You were in Asia. You were in Australia. How did that inform your professional career and maybe add some, some toughness to your character? Um, well, that's about the only similarity with Brooks Kepka, maybe that we played a lot uh, overseas. But um, just the travel and the experience of all that, um, you know, but it made me realize that it was a hard sport, and that's why I walked away from it. But, you know, it's just wonderful experiences to be able to play overseas and, and meet different folks in different conditions and experience different cultures. So that's really what I take away from all that. You did get your amateur status back at one point during right. your playing career, Ken, and then you decided you're giving it another shot, and you won pretty quickly as a rookie on the senior tour. What made you walk away, and what made you actually come back? Well, the walk away was just realizing that I wasn't playing very good. And, and like any smart boss, right, you kind of fire the, the unperforming employee, and that was me. So uh, the decision wasn't hard for me. Um, I just wanted to move on. I played long enough, and I just wanted to, to venture off because I know life offers a lot of different opportunities. So I went a different path, and then, uh, you know, when I got closer to 50, I played some decent golf as an amateur, and um, – you know, with the qualifying school back home at TPC Scottsdale, I give it a, a run at it as an amateur, and, and here I am. So it's been uh, quite a journey thus far. Well, the journey continues. Ken, you continue to play well. Three top tens so far this season, a second place right. and a third place as well. What's working so well for you this season? 
Damon, you know, this year, I just really wanted to have fun. I just really wanted to enjoy being out here, like kind of my rookie year with zero expectations to just kind of embrace it all. Um, and that's really been my goal. I don't really have any expectations. I didn't want any expectations. You know, sure, you work hard on your game, but I just wanted to be able to tell my wife at the end of the year that, hey, you know, we had a great time and I really enjoyed it. And and that's really been my focus. And it's just freed things up and it's made it a, just more enjoyable to be out here playing. Well, Ken Tanagawa, UCLA Bruins know how to get the job done. Great catching up with you. We'll speak to you down the road. Thanks, fellow Bruin, Damon. Damon, thanks. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> Great having Ken with us on this Monday. And speaking of Oak Hill, Brooks Kepka got the job done. Five-time major champ, now a three-time winner of the PGA Championship. We have this from Zach Johnson exclusively to our own Todd Lewis. He said this is what Zach had to say on what Brooks showed him at the PGA Championship. This is exclusively to our own Todd Lewis. I'm just completely impressed with him. Obviously not surprised. He just seems to bring out his best in the most trying of circumstances. Admirable and impressive. Well, the USGA Championship was decided last week. The women's amateur four ball. The winners are two of the most promising players in the country, and both of them are going to be joining us here in golf today. Coming up next. And I believe we have Avery and Gianna with us on this Monday. Avery, first of all, you guys beat a couple of college, you know, almost adults basically in the final. What are you most proud of in getting it done in a USGA national championship? Uh, I, I can't speak for Avery, but I know that it's definitely, it was definitely a really hard fought match, especially the last one. Um, I think I said to Avery walking down to fairway, I said, this is going to be a dog fight. Uh, we could just tell how experienced and how talented those players were. Um, and it was definitely our hardest match. Um, and it was definitely pretty surreal, I would say, for the first hour or two. Um, we were very busy with, you know, media and pictures and all that stuff. It didn't really have much time to sink in. But, um, yeah, it was an amazing experience and something that was very big to both of us, I think. Avery, how did this partnership first come about when you decided to enter the four ball together? So Gianna and I have actually known each other since we were really, really little. And I remember, because um, I played in the four ball actually five times, and I remember one of my partners was going to college, and we played a practice round with Gianna, and, oh my gosh, she must have been 10 or 11 at the time. And she was just absolutely striping it. Not much has changed, by the way, <laughs> to now. But um, And we were also super good friends. So we were like, hey, this might be a good idea. Flash forward to our first four ball that we qualified for. We actually made it to the semis and played really well and kind of shocked some people. And, um, yeah, so we just have a great time together. Gianna played some excellent golf, always does, and super happy to got the win this time. Gianna, we're all trying to figure out what makes a good team, a good partnership, friendship, gelling, laughing, comfort. What are the details, the little, little itty-bitty points that make you two such a strong team? Um, I think that we've, we've known each other. As she said, we've known each other for so long. I think we just know each other inside now, and, and we just kind of – we balance each other out a lot. I'm definitely the more tense one, um, definitely the more focused one. I definitely – play better when I'm completely locked in um, and it definitely plays better when she's a little bit more casual and a little bit more loose um, and we balance each other out very well and I think that sometimes 
that can collide a little bit and clash a little bit. But for us, uh, it works really well and we balance each other out really well. Avery, it's hard to imagine you could make a better start to championship season. But as we move into the summer now, what's next on the radar in terms of where you're putting your focus competitively? Well, I try to take it tournament by tournament and improving every day. Uh, that's sort of my motto. But I have U.S. Women's Open qualifying this coming Thursday. So I'm very excited for that. So hope to see you guys at Pebble Beach. And a um, few AJGAs and definitely going to try to be peaking for the U.S. Girls Junior and the U.S. Women's Amateur, which I now don't have to qualify for. So super excited. And I wanted to add to Gianna's question. Um, we talked to each other in British accents. And I know she was, like, really hoping that I wouldn't bring this up. But it's such a perfect opportunity um, just to say how loose we kept it. And we'd be, like, like doubled over laughing on the 10th hole of matches, like, where we should be tense. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I hope our competitors don't think we're laughing at them. We're just being stupid. But we really, truly did have so much fun together. Let's hear those accents right now. Say something to each other in those accents. Oh, I'm not doing it. I'm live. But... <laughs> oh, don't get shy on us um... now. The Golf Channel, it's so lovely to be here. <laughs> it's so Does that sound like Cara Banks so to you? I was going to say Anna Jackson, but, but either, either works. Gianna, you guys are having a lot of fun, clearly. But how important is having a secondary passion besides golf? Because you guys have been in the public eye, really, for, for quite some time. What else do you like to do besides playing golf and speaking in British accent? <laughs> Um, I am definitely a really big, uh, I have a very big passion for fitness. Um, so when you won't catch me on the golf course, which is a lot of the time I'm either catching up on schoolwork or I'm in the gym. So that's kind of like my secondary home besides the golf course. So I guess the range would be my first home. Um, but yeah, if you're not, if I'm not on the golf course, I'm not on the range. You'll probably catch me in the gym. <laughs> A couple of high school kids, absolutely dominant. Avery and Gianna, congratulations and best of luck the rest of the summer. Thank you so much. Thank you.